Welcome to This Life, the Chronicles of Autism Mums, hosted by me, Alison Sarah. Each week, I'm joined by amazing women who happen to have autistic kids. Hasna, Moira, Susanna, Reen, Maha, Karina, Huma and Rana, Alteki. Each week, we talk about navigating the ups and downs of parenting kids with autism and how that affected us and our lives as women, mothers and professionals. Strap in, grab some tissues, sometimes you'll cry from empathy and other times from laughter. Join us on our journey of this life. Following on from most episodes, we talked a lot about diagnosis, but uh, we didn't touch on really the process and how it made us feel as parents and also as women. So good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think we'll make a start with um, a question about diagnosis. So do you remember your child's diagnosis? Do you remember how, um, how that kind of came about and where you were and how it made you feel. So let's get started. Who would, who would like to share their experience? Uh, getting a diagnosis was not a simple process, but by no means for me, especially given that my son uh, falls into, fell at the time into a gray area, because really the only thing I could pick out was the speech delay and also because I didn't have something to compare it to. So I, uh, when I was waiting for the skills to come, when I was waiting for mostly language, you know, for him, it, it, it didn't come. And then there were all these, I mean, I'm going to call them weird things he would do, like uh, interesting facial expressions, just uh, always hum. And I thought, wow, he's so musical. It's that the Bob the Builder song, uh, things like that. But it was like on repeat, but no language, but he would pick out all these, song, these, these signs. So... When I finally decided to see somebody, it was, he was about to start uh, pre, preschool and uh, I was very worried because uh, he, he was nowhere where the kids his age or whatever I could observe was. So I reached out to, uh, at the time, I took him to a doctor here, uh, the pediatrician, and, um, and she simply uh, uh, well, he with my ex. He, my ex-husband took him to a doctor, and she simply he simply brought him back with a piece of paper with a phone number and checked for possible ASD. I had no idea what ASD was, so I just put it in the in Google, and uh, of course, dread because you know I had already been googling some of his symptoms, and, <laughs> and autism kept coming back. Yeah, like oh my god like it's again the word non-curable lifelong and it's like no it's something else it's just language we can do something so I did not I I did go to that um psychologist at the time which took about five minutes like literally I, I went there to get him tested but within five minutes uh he's likely on the autism spectrum and I, I don't think I even wanted to continue at that point I was like no he's not in my heart I was like no like how can you drop a bomb like that on me and I remember like um, going home, like putting him in the car from that visit and, and just, it was a very heavy, heavy feeling of, I mean, I really just wanted to drop on the floor and just, you know, I didn't, I was like, what am I about to go through here? What is, what is this? Like, how is this possible? And mind you, at the time I knew very little about it and I knew very little people that, that even actually none, none at the time. Uh, now it's, you know, it's easier for parents getting diagnosed because they know where to reach out. There's groups, there's, uh, there's several service centers and whatnot. But at the time it was like, okay, 
this is scary. And the uh, first thing I did was find a speech therapist. But then, I, I, until then, I didn't have a formal diagnosis. So I flew to another country and they ran uh, ADOS, which is supposed to be um, the golden standard. But even with them, with that, they thought um, my son made, barely made the cutoff line. So he was still, because he had a lot of skills. He had joint attention. And that, that's really what happens with, with kids that are like on on the more, I would say, mild, if you want to say, because mild is not really mild, even though, it, you know, people say, oh, it's mild, it's not severe, but mild is also a struggle because it doesn't mean that you, you know, they still can't function in everyday settings and mainstream and all of that. And, and, and uh, so at that point, uh, he's not, and I was like, oh, he's not, it's, there was a name, there's a lot of names in the DSM-5 and, said, we're just going to like keep pushing. I did not wait to give him services. Finally, I got my diagnosis when he was six in the U.S. because they were the only, the only ones that were able to, um, they ran several tests. And again, there, it was such a gray area, but I think because we don't want the name, that's the thing. Like we're okay with the condition. We don't want the name. And I think just because there was so much stigma attached to it. So for me, it was like, I'll go with anything that is not that. I just don't want to put that on my son. And um, I mean, eventually from then on, I kind of made peace with it. And when I started embracing the word and, uh, and the diagnosis, I think I was really able to, to live a better life, let's say. Of course, it wasn't that simple. I mean, I took many years to finally embrace it but uh but that's that's what diagnosis felt like it really did feel like a tragedy I have to be honest it was a very difficult news to to take in at the time just again just because we didn't know what to expect and it, I if I go back I don't know I don't know what the expectation is this was completely foreign this is your baby it's two-year-old you know what I mean what what do you mean his life just began you know does he get a chance at life? And these are all the thoughts that were coming through my head in that period. Karina, how was your now. diagnosis? That's great. Thank you, Hasna. How, how did it make you feel? It was the uh, same. Same thing, same feelings. Um, we, we didn't know anything about autism. Anything. I didn't know any child with autism. Any person. Never. I had never experience anything close so it was very new to us and the, the way um, we found out it was autism our pediatrician referred him to a clinic here in Qatar because he thought it would be also a hearing problems so he said take him to this clinic and he can have a, an evaluation assessment and see so for me we had the hope that could be something related to his hearing and she, it was a speech therapist who saw him. And then she said, after five minutes, she asked me a couple of questions. She interacted with him a little bit. And then she said, oh, it's autism. And um, it looks like he's going to be nonverbal. But don't worry, you know, you have, um, we have a, a treatment for that. And there is a PEX. It's a card. So you can talk to the cards. And I remember you know, it's been, the diagnosis, it's been, I think, nine years since we got the diagnosis. And I remember her face, the time, the smell of the room. I mean, it's like my brain took a picture of the whole moment. You know, I can remember what she was wearing. 
you know, even the jewelry that she was wearing, everything, because it was such a, such a shock. Yeah. And I remember we walked away. It was me, my husband, and my kid and my other twin in the room. We put them in the car, and we were mute until we got home. We couldn't say a word. A word. And all we could think was, of course, when we got home, we both cried and we said, what is this? What's going on here? How about his future? It's all we could think of. And how rude she was, how unprofessional she was. So break the news like that, you know, like, uh, take it. This is what he has. Mm -hmm. I find so, it, it's, it's quite interesting, actually, that um, your two stories, and, you know, I think even if we asked everybody uh, that was that was in this, <laughs> on this podcast today, because I can certainly resonate with that, that your stories do sound very, very similar in the way that you, um, and it's not necessarily what they were saying to you, but actually how the message was delivered was a lot, and, and you know, there's obviously some trauma there because you can, you, you can remember all, all of those, all of those things, Karina, and I can as well. So I think it's very interesting that, you know, just with a group of us here, what you can, um, you know, how, how that kind of felt for all of us. I'm, I'm wondering, do you feel that the diagnosis pr process considers uh, the parent at all in the delivery? You know, is, do, you, do you, that you don't? So would anybody like to tell us how they feel about that? I, I want to say something that's not directly answering your question. I feel, um, so my journey, by the time I got to an actual psychologist and, you know, went through the diagnosis process, like I had already been doing therapy for ages. And I, the only reason why I tried to go get it official at that point was only because I wanted to go through and try with the insurance to get them to pay for it. And the only reason I tried to do that at that point, which was years later, was because I found out um, somebody who had similar insurance to mine had it covered well for, and we had like a crazy, awesome insurance that like insured you for every other thing. But um, so the, the painful part for me was the journey before even that. It took me about a year of running around. I remember it as, running around as a headless chicken because I didn't know where to go to. I wasn't suspecting autism at all, even initially, because my pediatrician kind of was indirectly pushing me to figure something out. And eventually, a year later, when I went back home to Jordan and I saw a pediatrician there, and he told me I'm suspecting some autistic tendencies, I came back to our pediatrician here and I just told him, why don't you just tell me? Like, that was exhausting. It literally took me a year. And he just kind of um, told me how he had horrible experiences talking to parents about this. And so that's why he kind of kept indirectly pushing me to figure it out. So anyway, when I saw the pediatrician in Jordan and he told me, he was very professional compared to also the speech therapist that I had seen the year before who which I mentioned last in the last episode, who completely like diagnosed them within 40 minutes with ADHD and went into making me feel like a horrible mother because we had the discussion of, do I choose English or Arabic? 
And at that point, Victor was speaking some words and they were in English. And he made it seem like if I choose English, I would kind of be taking the easy way out. And if I choose Arabic, it would be more difficult. But in the long term, since we're Arabs, that it would be better for him because, you know, this is where, where we live, basically. And um, so like going back, back to how I was feeling, because like I remember in his office, I was kind of like in shock. And it is trauma. It's definitely trauma. I remember, uh, it might be a silly story, but where Victor was trying to play around because he's bored of the conversation, obviously, and went and picked up the landline to play with the phone. And he basically yelled at him. And I know he probably thinks it's his like ABA thing, but he kind of like yelled at him. And he's like, see, and then Victor started crying and came over to me to hug me. And then he was like, why are you hugging him? Did he do anything that deserved the hug? Like, kind of like, where you, he's like, you know, he went very, very hardcore with, you know, you need to, if we're going to do it in Arabic, you need to remove him from any place that is not speaking that language. If his nursery is in English, you need to pull him out. If your friends are only speaking English, find new friends. Like, he went very kind of like extreme. And it was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? It was terrifying. But like that was the first experience with the first person. Fast forward the one year of trying to get, trying to find out where to go and what appointments to do and all that. And when I did get an appointment, which I had to wait four months for uh, through a, the public healthcare system, um, the doctor who saw him uh, actually said, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. Because again, like Hesna said, he's kind of on the milder end of things. And although that is a blessing in many ways where, you know, they do maybe have it a little bit easier than maybe kids with more severe symptoms, it really makes me sad because I feel they fall through the cracks all, all the time. And it's such a struggle because you need to keep on, you know, fighting for them over every little thing all the way through. So um, anyway, eventually the pediatrician in Jordan who said, I see some autistic tendencies went on and said, having said that, I'm not the person who diagnoses this. You need to go to a child psychologist, blah, blah, blah. And he explained the process. He gave me uh, a name of a person um, back home uh, who had a center. I went to her and she also, she actually wasn't a psychologist, but she's the owner of the center. And she, I think was like a speech and some other um, I forgot what her title was, but in any case, she told me I'm not the one who does this type of diagnosis, but I can diagnose like what skills, uh, you know, that he needs and where he's at from a speech point of view and like even like OT and stuff like that. So then we started intensive therapy for the few months that I was home for the summer. And, you know, he kind of was... Um, skyrocketing like his progress was crazy and it made me really 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 happy but then I came back and it took me some time to get services for him again so eventually once I got that you know and we were doing therapy for years it was only because of the insurance thing that I tried to years later go back and try to get like an official diagnosis and that was like a very short quick trip to the child psychologist here and I don't know. It just, I don't know if it was, you know, done all the way it was supposed to either, to be honest with you. It just kind of felt like, I don't know, they just asked some questions and 
I don't know. It just didn't really feel like what it was supposed to be like, just because we've already been on the journey, journey and been doing therapy. So mm -hmm. it almost felt like based on what we were saying and how he was previously, they kind of did it. I'm not really sure, but yeah, it was the pain for me was the few years before even getting there. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I wonder whether or not our fear is related to a diagnosis. You know, I wonder whether or not, you know, what is that stereotype that we fear so much about autism when we don't know about it? Like, we know the word autism, yeah. but before you are in this, on this journey, you know the word autism, but why do we relate it to um, negativity? What do we relate it to? Because we know so little about it, but it's interesting I, as to why we relate that to, um, kind of, you know, that, that negativity. Negative connotation. Exactly. Yeah. Maha, what do you feel about that? Is it related? Do you think the fear is related to the actual delivery or do you think it's related to the unknown? What do you think? Totally the unknown. My fear when I heard like when I was told my son had autism, wasn't, um, how can I say, it wasn't that, like, it wasn't that label as much as it was, well, what does that mean? And I think families, when they, when they get that diagnosis, they sort of need to prepare themselves for having so many people give their opinion, especially health professionals that shouldn't be saying things. And you, you really need to develop that that thick skin where you're like, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to turn the page and go to someone else. Whereas I know in the beginning, it's really quite overwhelming and frightening. Um, I, I'm sure we all, it just sounds like a common theme where, you know, out of the 10 health professionals, probably one was the one that was like made sense to you. And all the others just made things so much worse. And I think that's the fear is that you, you, you don't have one person or even like when I took my son and it was like this top developmental pediatrician in Australia and we had to wait four months to get in to see him and the assessment was done over two days and at the end of it was like, well, here's a piece of paper with a list of services and I'm like, but what does my son need? And he goes, oh, any of those things. And I'm like, but again, this spectrum is so vast, what, what do I work on? And not even this developmental pediatrician could tell me and he's like, I'll oh, put him on fish oil okay, so what type of fish oil, what, what, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, just anything you can get. I'm like, what world am I in right now? Like it was just not having any information. I, For me personally, my I didn't have that, oh, my God, my son's got autism. That gr Like my grief was like, like taking a Band-Aid off slowly. Like I started with, that, okay, what do I have to do? And as I was going along, every now and then you'd get this, you know, this thing, this feeling of grief of what's going to happen to my son, what's going to, you know, how bad is this going to get? And then you, I just go straight back into, okay, what do I have to do? And the problem is, is what do you have to do? No one is telling you what you have to do. You're sort of going into this blindly going, I have no idea, but I know I'm the one steering the ship, especially the mums tend to be more the project managers in all this. They're the ones, our husbands or our partners are usually the ones saying, okay, what do you need from me? And we're the ones making the choice and, and, and all of that, I think, is so, um, I think that's the stress. You know, if you have a child with a condition where, you know, you've got to set, say, for example, if it's, if it's diabetes or it's something, of course, that's difficult, but there's a, there's a process you go through. There's, there's a blood test you take and there's, there's a, a quantitative measure of what your child has, whereas with our kids, we don't, we don't have that. 
and we don't have any idea what's going to happen. Um, I remember my pediatrician also said, oh, you know, I don't know where he got this, this statistic from. 10% of the kids fall off the spectrum at like age seven. And I was like, I'm going to be one of those 10%. You know, my son's going to be in that 10%. I have found absolutely no statistic saying that 10% of the kids, I feel like 10% of kids are just weren't diagnosed properly or whatever. Like you don't know where that stat statistic comes from. So you get all this information and you're trying to process it all. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the, the message is probably more, you will hear so many things. And as a mum, you know your child, you've got to trust that instinct where you know your child better than anyone. And if it doesn't sound like your child, you know what, move on, like turn the page, find, find something. And not out of denial, just out of that gut instinct of this does not feel like what my child needs at the moment. Um, so yeah, so that would be my. Yeah, I think. Thanks for sharing, Mahan. I I think it's, you've made some really really good points because, and it seems wherever we are in the world, you, you know, your son was diagnosed in Australia. Susanna, we were talking about Jordan. You know, we can talk about the UK. We can talk about anywhere. But it seems that the system is, I think, kind of broken. Like a lot of systems are broken, but it seems very broken because the reason that you guys have all been through. Um, such a journey pre-diagnosis was because it didn't feel right to you and I think that we can all say on uh, here today that we've all been through that same process because it didn't feel right the delivery wasn't right it didn't sound like your child and even though you knew something was up the information that you were being given didn't fit correctly with you know how you felt so I think it's always you know you're just constantly searching for answers so with that being said, um, Moira, um, what did you find the most frustrating thing about the diagnosis process for you? What was, you know, and then we can talk about, you know, after we hear from you, maybe we can start thinking about what we feel could, how the system can benefit, you know, what we can make as suggestions to help parents, but also to help, you know, make suggestions as to how delivery can be improved from a professional perspective. But, you know, what was the most frustrating thing for you? Um, well, to be honest, many people have told us that Callum's on the spectrum, but we've never actually gone through the official diagnosis. We've never paid for that bit of paper. Um, so by the time Callum was two, we had probably self-diagnosed in the back of our minds we thought he had and every time we went and had some kind of assessment uh part of me was gutted to be proved right and the other part was kind of in denial because he also was kind of in that gray area I thought um thought it was just a speech delay and constantly just waiting for that magic switch to flick and everything would be fine um so and I think I've kind of I don't have a defining moment I think to be honest I've blanked out a lot of that for those years and uh and I think um yeah I, I, we knew we knew deep down but we just kept on going for more more and more assessments for willing that person to tell us <laughs> what we wanted to hear probably um, so, but at the end of the day, um, we took the advice of spending the money on 
addressing his issues as opposed to getting the diagnosis. So we went through all the therapy and, uh, and he made the progress. Um, so I don't know how, how I felt. We just, obviously you think, what on earth did I do probably in this pregnancy that I didn't do in the first one because it didn't happen the first time round. Um, but you can beat yourself up till the cows come home. There's no answers. And every therapist you go to, to be fair, they're also not able to give you any definitive answers. So for the beginning years, it was I felt like it was kind of the blind leading the blind. And we were just doing kind of the best we could, whatever we thought. So the whole thing was frustrating. There wasn't one. <laughs> one aspect that was more frustrating than the other I think. So Moira did you ultimately go for a non-diagnosis just purely for the fact that it, there wasn't a requirement um, you know because I know um, in other countries that you you know you need to get that piece of paper to get services. I think services. if we were in the UK for yeah. example and we needed to get services from school then yeah it's a requirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Here but, obviously it's different so we didn't feel the need it, it, yeah, and, and I think that we can all agree that with diagnosis or no diagnosis, if you are seeing professionals um, regarding speech therapy, occupational therapy, the treatment would be exactly the same. So those therapies yeah. would be the same if you had the diagnosis or you didn't. Uh, there's nothing that can harm your child from not taking that diagnosis, but having those, um, you know, having that piece of paper. So Moira, um, kind of stepping back and taking taking a look back at you know your decisions and everything else is there anything different that you would do about this this pro, you know the process and how you you know how you've managed the journey because it's all such a personal journey isn't it we all make those decisions based on you know how we feel at the time emotions but also what we know is best for our child as, as parents and you know as mothers so is there anything that you would change or do differently well, hindsight is great, but at the time, I don't think I could have done anything differently, really, because there wasn't the knowledge. I didn't know anybody. I had nothing to compare it to. Um, you know, if it was to happen now, obviously, it's, it's everywhere, <laughs> you know. There's websites, podcasts, help groups, everything, everywhere. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think we did the best we could at the time, to be honest. Absolutely. I like to think we did the best we could. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I just tell that's, myself that's a good thing. No, that's an that's that's an amazing thing, and I, I think as time has. Um, you know, over the last 10 years, things have improved so much in terms of awareness and, you know, acceptance and people talking about it more, which is amazing. Mm. So, you know, more information is available. So we know more, we do more because we, you know, we, we know more about it. Um, and, you know, what, what do we all think that we would change about the system? What recommendations can we make you know, what would you like to see, apart from all of the support groups and everything else, we are talking about the delivery of, you know, a team of professionals. We all know that this diagnosis takes a multidisciplinary team. We know that in order to get insurance or whether or not to, um, 
you know, to get statemented or write an IEP if you're in other countries and so on and so forth. We all need to get this piece of paper. Um, but, you know, it sounds as though from all of our collective, global, international experiences that, you know, it's been quite a process and quite a journey to get there. Should it be like that for parents? You know, how, how should it be like that? And, and how can we suggest that we improve that, you know, and, and how can we make it easier on parents? Because ultimately, it's tough. It's a very, very tough and, you know, just a journey that you don't really want to be on. So how can we, how can we make it easier and better and more positive? Because we're all talking about inclusion now, you know, we're all talking about the world being more inclusive for our children. And it starts there. It starts with the diagnosis. And, you know, if we've got, um, if we've got professionals that are not considering that, then that's where it should start. So how do we, how do we all feel about that? I, I don't know how um, health visitors in the UK are positioned now, but I feel that if mine had been more knowledgeable, she could be the one who would have guided me through a process. Um, and, I, and I think it's just such a struggle in the UK because of resources and the amount of people needing to go through the process that just takes so long. So I don't know if that's anything we can do. It's a, exactly. a government. But, but also it sounds to me like, you know, all of our experiences collectively were based on not just the information that was being delivered, but how it was delivered and with the confidence that it was delivered with. You know, it's kind of like such a great area. And it seems, you know, people are too worried. Even Susanna's case, they were too worried to say something, yeah, say something that, wrong. So or, that's what I want. I would say, like, I think physicians, regardless of whatever experiences they've had, like they should be required to deliver that news if they're seeing it like it's not an option of whether you know I'm trying to nudge you slowly in whatever way you know because that was a whole year like if I had known that was from the age of about two and a half till three and a half that's like prime time for early intervention so um yeah I think physicians maybe need to be trained on how to deliver this type of news. And I think there should be some kind of aspect that uh, there might be some support for parents to guide them through it, not for whatever center they're in, but just the general process, what to expect, what to look for. Um, and, and it would, you know, it'd be a nice touch if they could then have all the information, whether private or public for each category of, of therapy or whatsoever else that's available where they could just literally give you all that information instead of you running around for god knows how long to try to get it so definitely there's and wasting to be yeah and wasting there. very precious time for intervention definitely. and that seems to be very common it's uh i don't know i, I it's, it's very cultural too i mean it's like the doctor doesn't want to break the news they don't want this responsibility but then you know you're delaying services you're delaying um anything and and i'm not saying and also the way you break the news you know there ha has to be streamlined there has to be yeah. a process where the parent is given the news but is also given the support is given the referrals is given the you know you start with this you know the, almost like the doctors themselves don't know enough and also who diagnoses autism 
who diagnoses? Is it the pediatrician? Is it that who, where, who do we go to? Because until now, with the new families that I observe every day, it's like they don't know who exactly can diagnose and who cannot diagnose and who, like you had a speech therapist, you told me, the speech therapist should not be diagnosing autism. It's not within their scope. It's in their scope to support kids with autism, but diagnosis is not in the scope of a speech oh, therapist. He diagnosed him with ADHD, not even autism at the time, and he's not diagnosed, but he doesn't have an ADHD. There um, you go. And, it, and he was only two at the time. I don't think you can diagnose ADHD at that point, which, of course, I didn't know that then, but I think they need to be, like, at a school age. Um, yeah, so definitely an interesting experience. Um, so um, Heather was uh, um, diagnosed around two, two and a half. Um, we, he was my, uh, he was the only child. He was, um, well, he was the firstborn and we had just moved to a new country. So, and I wasn't interacting with a lot of people and um, I, I knew something was off, but I thought that, oh, maybe he's just taking time growing up. You know, he's just, I, I had no idea there was such a thing as delayed or, other terms and um then he he had peculiar then then like, like from when he was a baby he was fine but then um around two and two two and a half he started withdrawing into himself and uh, we, we still didn't think it, there was anything wrong um but then his pediatrician um pointed it out that oh he might be autistic and i was like oh okay i wonder what is autism you know, she was like, he might be autistic, just um, uh, have him checked. And uh, we had no idea. We thought this, um, I remember my husband saying, oh, we can fix it, you know. You know, so we had uh, no idea what, what journey we're going on. Um, in a way, I sometimes I think maybe it was a blessing because it didn't come as a, like a big blow to us. We were just sort of eased into it and slowly when we, um read about everything we um came to realize that it was a um lifelong thing um so basically that's that's how the diagnosis was given to us by the doctor and then later on um um as um the other um people in this group said that it's um there were not a lot of services available um we had to do a lot of research and find um therapists on our own uh, we were lucky that uh, we found some uh, really nice one uh, once, um, and uh, we um, so we, they worked privately uh, with my son. Um, it was um, very expensive. Um, the insurance doesn't cover it, so at one point we had uh, you know emptied our bank accounts uh, paying for the therapy. Um, and um, so, but then I think we, we had faith that it'll um, somehow will, because we were just thinking this is, this is important. These are the years, because that's what we were hearing that, oh, uh, initial few years, that's, that's the time when they need the ther therapy the most. So, um, so we were just uh, focused on that. And then I think that's what our life became for those number of years. That's all that went on in our lives the, the therapy the um how he's improving the assessments uh, well, we, we got we got i think a couple of assessments done um i initially i think 
there, there wasn't anyone guiding us. Uh, we even went to England um, to get an assessment done. And I, I now I think about it that maybe it was not, um, it was, we didn't have to do that. Like we paid 4,000 pounds for just an hour session, one hour session. And I was thinking, oh, wow, that's a lot. We just, and nothing happened over there. They just told us, yeah, your son is autistic. So uh, <laughs> it's just a confirmation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that, that's that that that's how it is for people who come outside the countries. You know, things are rates are different. So anyway, um, so yeah, that that's uh, that's how our initial journey was. Um, it, um, maybe um, for a long time I was um, not in denial, but sort of. Uh, um, you know, not detached also, like I just feel that maybe I was just standing somewhere and observing also th this and while I was in it also. So maybe that sort of cushioned me from the shock. Uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't go through any, it didn't affect me as greatly as it should have. Um, uh, I don't know, it just cushioned me. So I'm grateful for that. It, you know, I'm... Do, do you think your body had a kind of built-in coping mechanism? You know, it was just your, your body and your mindset, your way of coping with, you know, a situation that you didn't expect and something you didn't know about. Yes, yes. It just, um, I, because also because I didn't want to... Um, I, I cannot function if, if something is, oh, uh, in, in the severity of a situation that, oh, this is something very serious and it's life and death. And, and I can't function that way. So um, I just, you know, taking one day at a time and just making light of the situation and seeing humor uh, in, in all of that, you know, like my son, he has a really uh, dark humor example <laughs> a behind me. So so it's just I just take it as it goes it's it's funny and uh, I, I'm embarrassed most of the time by his antics but, but it's, it is what it is so we just we just you know take it how, how as it comes I think and it's that's, lovely. that's what the approach has been <clears throat> I think it's lovely and I think I mean um, I wish I had a little bit of that I mean I took it I mean I think all of us had um it was, even though we were going, I was going through massive depression, but I think all of us, what we share in common is that we were still getting the work done. We did not like wait a day, you know? So this is, I think something that, you know, we're, we're dealing with grief. We're dealing with, I mean, in your case, you were cushioned, as you say, amazing. I wish I had, I mean, I developed it over time, you know, almost like, um, how do you say self um, protection mechanism? Uh, and, you know, hence when my second son, it was very different, but also because because we know so little, but uh, having said that, Alison, you had also a tough experience getting diagnosis, and uh, I think we should hear about it. Uh, can you tell um, us more? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think my experience probably on, on the, the trauma scale was probably exactly the same as everybody else's. So I doubt very much, unless, you know, uh, unless you've had a, you know, a very exceptional experience, then if we, if we polled all autistic parents in the world, then they would probably, wherever you are from, I would absolutely be sure that everyone has this level because there seems to be a lot of confusion around, 
you know, there's not a clear path for us. Um, so a lot, a lot gets mis, you know, missaid and delivered in the wrong way. I mean, for me, um, we realized very early that our son, I think he was 18 months um, when we first realized that he wasn't communicating. And communication has always been his, uh, his biggest challenge. Um, so uh, we went to a, a doctor here um, who basically delivered the message that potentially he was on the spectrum. And um, I, I, I wasn't really given a, a clear um, path or advice. And, uh, you know, we're from the UK, but we don't live in the UK. So my first, my first, I don't know, port of call was the UK. I was like, right, I've got to go home. I've got to go figure this out. They, that it, there must be a clearer path there for me. So I remember going on my own with my son and I'd called around um, in the UK to different, um, the, the, you know, the health service and everything else and got back, um, went to see a, I don't even know what they're called. There's so many people that, you know, on this multidisciplinary team. And I think it's changed like five times. That's actually the problem as well, that it keeps changing. So people really don't know, you know, you know, in these massive teams of NHS staff, you don't really know, they don't even know where they, you know, where they should recommend that you go next. Um, so we went to see a play therapist. So apparently that was the first start for us was to go see a, you know, a, a play therapist who would kind of point us in the right direction. They saw him. And they said, there's no, there's nothing wrong, nothing. He's developing typically, he's playing normally. And this was like at the age of 18 months, two years. And we know that in the UK that, and, and at the time, you know, we were doing our own research. My husband was back at home doing so much research on this to just try and figure out, you know, what we did. And, and he was like, no, you know, we need to wait. They don't diagnose, I think in the UK until the age of probably the minimum age is three to four. So I came away from that not actually thinking, yay, there's nothing wrong with him. I came away frustrated thinking there's something wrong here and you don't, you, you, what, if you don't know that there's a problem, how am I supposed to know if there's a problem? You know, and, and where am I supposed to go next? What, you know, I trusted the system, but you're telling me there's no issue. So, well, and, and that's exhausting. And I find, I think that I spent three days in bed after that. So I was only had one child and I think my mum could, you know, my mum has been a, a great support right the way through our journey. And she really kind of understood, I think, and she'd never seen me in that situation because I, I've never, never felt like that in my life, in my entire life. I've never felt so, um, I can't think of the word. I think so unable helpless, to deal with this situation. Totally helpless. Help, like, yeah, totally. I could not fix that situation with an action, with money, with, you know, calling somebody and, like, nothing. And I, and I think the most frustrating thing was that that was the case. It was the unknown. It was like, well, I'm, I'm, as I think I said last week, I'm staring this child in the face. Every minute of my day is with him. So I'm looking at the problem. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm looking at my child, his problem. The problem is there. The, the issue is there, the one that's making me so upset. And I'm talking about it from a very personal perspective. I don't mean to be, you know, it's all about me. It wasn't, but actually at the time it felt like it was about all, like our family. How can we possibly make these changes to get this 
right? Because ultimately, I think at the start of a diagnosis, you just want to fix your child, which is not right. But at the time, you that's all you know. You didn't know, we didn't know anything about, um, you know, acceptance and inclusion and all of that. We just were just trying to make this child like our other child develop typically. Um, and when you don't know where to start, you don't get any positive feedback from professionals, but you know there is something wrong, then I think you just go into crisis mode because you're, what if you, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just a very dark place. It's a very horrible place to be. And I, I really don't wish it upon anybody and anyone that I meet now, you know, just because of the work that we do, who's in that situation because you can see and it affects people in so many different ways and I, I just I just didn't I wouldn't want my I wouldn't wish this upon my you know at the time my own worst enemy because I think it's just a, a horrendous place to be you know it's you're not you're just at that the start of the you're day in that gray area yeah, it's awful. yeah I mean now it's totally fine but now I can look back and think okay well you know this is this is where we are we have good days and bad days but we do with all of our children and it's it's fine because we know we know what we know. Now. Exactly. Um, and I, I think, Alison, just to say that's the thing is that that is for us, our journey started off with a big shock. Is this something that can be you know, fixed? Is this something that professionals need to take into account? Because like you are shocking these parents into, you know, into grief. Yes. And they have this crazy long journey ahead of them. Is this the way to do it? And also with what we know today, 10 years on, I mean, we're all kind of, let's say, grateful for our journey because we, we were able to like pivot and, and, you know, just make the best out of it. If there was somebody compassionate, breaking this news, explaining what you need to do, uh, setting you up with support group, providing you with enough resources, like, is it that difficult with, to do that? You just need to, like, you know, tell the parents that's it. And, then, you know, I mean, um, Moira was mentioning that I do something wrong with my pregnancy. You know, this is so common for us to, like, self-blame and to say, what did we do? Did I eat the, the raw fish or the, you know what I mean? Like, that's how... That's how bad it gets. Like I kept wondering, what did I do to cause this? What did I do? Was I depressed during my pregnancy? Was I, you know, which I was. But I mean, th that's the thing is that nobody is breaking this down in a human way where you're thinking, this is a parent and this is a baby, you know, nothing more, like there's nothing more uh, painful than, you know, I, it would have been less painful if they gave me news about myself, but then this is your baby. So I think... Until today, I feel like doctors, whoever, are not taking this into account. Like there needs to be, when you drop news like that, you need to have a whole support system ready to go along with that. Has this been the case? I feel like it's not. It's not. And then, uh, and, and, and I think that's bottom line is as mothers, we have this intuition. I think all of us have said, we knew something was wrong. And the physicians were saying, no, we knew. If you know, I think that nobody knows more than you. I remember a friend telling me, you trust your gut, keep looking because you feel it, you know it. As a matter of fact, that was the case. But how much time was wasted in order? And, and don't forget, parents don't get services. In most countries, they don't get services until they, they get a referral or whatnot. Is, this, is it okay to waste that precious prime time, as Susanna said, where we can get our kids into something? So a lot has to change in the yeah, diagnostic totally, process. Totally. So thank you very much for joining us all this morning. It's a really interesting topic. We'll be back next week with another episode. And 
please visit learnautism.com, www.learnautism.com for more information about diagnosis. Very important, actually, that I mentioned this this morning because there are um, a lot of parents searching for information and it's a really, really great resource. So learnautism.com, go check it out and uh, it, will, could, it can help. And the aim of it is to actually help a lot of people on this journey and on this path. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week.